Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Les Enlumineurs. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, listeners. For the next two weeks, we're switching from technical, making-focused jewelry episodes to discuss the iconography found in medieval manuscripts, and especially in books of ours. Today, we're discussing the life of the Virgin and the Annunciation in medieval manuscript illumination. Next week, we'll discuss the Nativity and the Adoration of the Magi. All these scenes appear in books of ours. The term, Book of Hours, is really just a shorthand for the central text of these manuscripts, that is, the Hours of the Virgin, also known as the Little Office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It is a devotional work composed of a set of psalms interspersed with lessons, prayers, and brief phrases of praise and petitions for intercession. The hours refer to the eight canonical hours of the day— Matins, Lauds, Prime, Terce, Sext, None, Vespers, and Compline. Each of the eight hours begins with a series of short lines called versicles and responses. This is followed by a series of hymns, psalms, prayers, and canticles, and the different types of texts are noted in red or rubricated on the text pages of the manuscript. In the simplest books of hours, each hour might only be marked with an enlarged initial, but in luxury hours like our current book of hours, BOH 156, that features five large and five small miniatures by the workshop of the Master of the Entry of Francis I, each hour begins with an illumination, a picture from the life of the Virgin. Some scholars refer to this section as the infancy cycle of Christ, which is correct, but I prefer to discuss these images as depictions of critical events in the life of the Virgin, as medieval readers saw these as part of their specific devotion to the Virgin Mary. So, these are images from the life of the Virgin, or in other words, they are narrative scenes from the life of Mary, depicting the most critical, climactic moments of her life. The scenes chosen for each of the eight hours are standard. The Annunciation for Matins, the Visitation for Louds, the Nativity for Prima, the Annunciation of the Shepherds for Terse, the Adoration of the Magi for Sext, and the Presentation in the Temple for Nones. There is some variation among illuminated books of hours for Vespers, but often it is the most violent scene, the Massacre of the Innocents. The flight into Egypt then concludes the cycle in Compline. All these scenes would have been familiar to the medieval reader through repeated representation in churches, whether on the altarpiece of a parish church or carved into stone in a cathedral. The depiction of scenes from the life of the Virgin goes back to almost the earliest days of Christian art. A scene from the church at Dura Europos, made around the year 250, has been interpreted as a procession of virgins accompanying Mary to the temple. 
early cycles tend to include more scenes and details from those texts that have been labeled apocryphal gospels, including the story of Mary's parents' lives, who are St. Anne and Joachim, before Mary was even born. The influence of these stories has never disappeared entirely, partly because the canonical Gospels give very few details of Mary's life before and after the years around the birth of Jesus. Cycles of the life of Mary were less frequent in the Latin West than they were in the Greek Eastern Roman Empire, until the Gothic period, that is, during which time there was a surge of devotion to the Virgin. In one critical moment, the cycle of the nativity in the tympanum of the right portal of Chartres Cathedral is the earliest monumental cycle to appear under a large enthroned virgin and child in the Latin West. Such cycles continued to appear in prominent positions. The evolution during the 13th century of the illuminated Book of Hours became another important location for these cycles, as did the gradual development of more sophisticated altarpieces for the space that we call the Lady Chapel, or a side altar that was devoted to the Virgin, and this was something that almost all large churches had. With the arrival of printmaking, or the old master print, as these works are often called, series depicting the life of the Virgin were quite popular and gained in popularity, and were often among the most ambitious works of printmaking artists. For example, Martin Schongauer's Death of the Virgin was one of his most influential works, adapted into painting by a host of artists in Germany and beyond. Schongauer apparently planned a large series, but only four scenes were produced between the years 1470 and 1475. The Annunciation at Matins was one of the very first images in the Book of Hours, and usually the first full-page illumination. It has been one of the most frequent subjects depicted in Christian art. Depictions of the Annunciation go back to early Christianity, with the Priscilla Catacomb in Rome including the oldest known fresco of the Annunciation dating to the 4th century. This was a popular and important scene to depict because it represented the perpetual virginity of Mary through the announcement by the angel Gabriel that Mary would conceive a child to be born as the Son of God. The scene always appears in cycles of the life of the Virgin, and it is often included as the initial scene in those of the life of Christ. Frescoes depicting this scene have appeared in Roman Catholic Marian churches for centuries, and it has been a topic addressed by many artists in multiple different media. The composition of the Annunciation is very consistent throughout the medieval period and in the Renaissance, with Gabriel normally standing on the left, facing the Virgin, who is generally seated or kneeling, at least in later depictions. Typically, Gabriel is shown in near profile, with the Virgin facing more to the front. She is usually shown indoors or in a porch of some kind, in which case Gabriel may be outside of the building entirely. In the Renaissance, often in a garden, which refers to the hortus conclusus, sometimes an explicit setting for annunciations. The building is also sometimes clearly the Virgin's house, but it is often intended to represent the Jerusalem temple, 
as some legendary accounts place the scene there. The Virgin may be shown reading, as medieval legend represented her as a considerable scholar. She might also be shown engaged in some domestic task, often reflecting another legend that the Virgin was one of a number of virgins who were asked to weave a new veil of the temple. In our manuscript, which I just mentioned, BOH 156, with those images by the workshop of the Master of the Entry of Francis I, the Virgin is shown with a rather adorable open manuscript lying on a table before her. In this miniature book, within a miniature, we can see simple lines of text receding along the lines of the table, contributing to the sense of space and volume in this illumination. Although many of our manuscripts include the Virgin reading from an open book, still others include the Virgin clasping her book in alarm as the angel appears to her. Late medieval commentators distinguished several phases of the Virgin's reaction to the appearance of Gabriel and the news, from initial alarm at the sudden vision, followed by reluctance to fulfill the role, to a final form of acceptance. These different phases of emotion are reflected in art by the Virgin's posture and expression. This is seen, for example, in our dated manuscript, the Calcagni Hours, BOH 181, which was completed in September of 1508, where the Virgin is depicted clutching her closed book, touching her chest in a gesture that seems to move between shock and humility. Both this illumination and the one in BOH 156 follow the standard format, with the angel Gabriel on the left and the Virgin on the right, within an architectural setting. Both images show Gabriel in profile, while Mary's face is turned in a three-quarter view. However, they employ different framing devices and styles of architecture. The space is divided in BOH 156, that is, the illumination by the workshop of the master of the entry of Francis I, by a pink column that plays off of the beautiful terra verte faux stone floor, and seems to extend the golden architectural frame into the imagined space of the illumination. In BOH 181, the Calcagni Hours, the division between heavenly and earthly figure is more subtle, the central space divided not by a solid architectural form like we've just seen, but by organic, natural space. A simple, round arch leads the viewer's eye out of the domestic setting and into the natural world. The arch touches the heads of each figure in this illumination, connecting them. A subtle dividing line nods toward the trope of the divisive column while maintaining this sense of connection between Mary, the angel Gabriel, and the natural world. That is, the angel Gabriel extends a long-stemmed lily in his hand, offering it to the Virgin Mary and cutting through the naturalistic space depicted within the archway. In late medieval and early Renaissance paintings, the impregnation of the Virgin by God was indicated by rays falling on her, often through a window, as light passing through a window was a frequent metaphor in devotional writing for her virginal conception of Jesus. Sometimes a small figure of God the Father or the Holy Spirit as a dove is seen in the air, as the source of the rays. This is clear in both of our illuminations. 
in BOH 156, the illumination, again by the workshop of the master of the entry of Francis I, golden streaks emanate from the puffed-out chest of a dove, the Holy Spirit, as it emerges from the central pink column. In contrast, the Calcagni hours, golden shafts of light radiate not from a dove or a window, but from the upper left-hand corner of the golden frame itself. This may be a nod by the Renaissance artist toward the idea of the illusory space of the painting as a window into this biblical event. The transformative idea that a painting could be a space, like a window, can first be traced to the Italian artist and architect Filippo Brunelleschi, who made this connection in the early years of the Renaissance. This idea is later codified by Leon Battista Alberti in his seminal 1435 treatise De Pictura. In this treatise, Alberti writes, quote, First of all, about where I draw. I inscribe a quadrangle of right angles as large as I wish, which is considered to be an open window through which I see what I want to paint. End quote. Math and geometry help to create this illusory space, as Brunelleschi's mathematical method of linear perspective, that is, where parallel lines at right angles to the picture plane appear to eventually converge in a vanishing point, provides the illusion of depth, transforming a flat plane into a framed deep space, just as a window frames space with a flat plane, the window pane. The artist of the Calcagni Hours uses many of the conventions of linear perspective, but also playfully acknowledges contemporaneous and intersecting dialogues around windows in the early 1500s. Windows were metaphors for sacred light, knowledge, and the immaculate conception, but also for the skill of the artist and the mystical properties of mathematics and architecture. Art historians are often inclined to label these two different positions as either Gothic or Renaissance attitudes. Yet it is clear, especially in the work of an artist such as the painter of the Calcagni Hours, that there was no clear division between philosophies that we have tended to associate with either the Gothic or the Renaissance. Mystical geometry and sacred light come together playfully and brilliantly in this artist's decision to connect the golden rays of the Immaculate Conception with the picture frame. Gabriel, especially in Northern Europe, is often shown wearing priestly vestments of a grand feast day, often with a cope fastened at the center by a large brooch. Well-known examples from early Netherlandish painting of such vestment-adorned angels can be seen in the Marode altarpiece by Robert Campan, where Gabriel wears an alb tied by an elaborate cincture, and also in the Annunciation by Jan van Eyck that features a stunning thick red and gold cope fastened by a rock crystal brooch. In our Annunciation painting, in BOH 156, the angel Gabriel is shown wearing a luxurious red dalmatic over a simple white alb. The sleeves of the dalmatic, that is, the wide-sleeved tunic worn by a deacon during the rite of the Eucharist, are trimmed with green embroidery, while the hem features golden embroidered borders, thick and pulling the vestment down. 
Although Gabriel's wings are only partially visible, they feature a gradient of feathers from light yellow-green to blue, a typical feature in depictions of Gabriel at this time, which can be seen in Van Eyck's Annunciation as well. So that's all for today's episode on the Annunciation, and I hope it was an appropriate and fun beginning of the first 12 days of Christmas. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast, and even to share this podcast with a friend who might be interested. Your ratings, reviews, and subscriptions help many more people find the podcast. We would also love to hear your thoughts about this episode's topic. Do you know something about the Annunciation or the Life of the Virgin or have comments on them? Let us know. You can find out more about the manuscript discussed on our website, and you can reach out with comments and questions through our social media at Messing Year. Thanks for listening.